and happy Monday. I'm so pumped about this episode and I kind of wanted to share a little context about kind of how I got John to agree to let me interview him um, before jumping into um, into our conversation. So for for you know background, a lot of the times, I find my guests either through hearing them speak on someone else's podcast or just from them being a public figure who I know of, you know, to begin with. But uh, with John, I actually, I didn't hear him speak on another podcast, but I heard his book mentioned on Teffy's podcast. Um, If you haven't listened to my episode with Teffy, it's like two or three episodes ago. So I highly encourage you all to check it out. Side note. Um, But yeah, so I heard his book mentioned. Basically, Taffy's co-host was talking about how it really helped her shift her uh, mindset and went an outlook on dating. And I was like, "Yep, I need to read this." So I re- finished the book in like two days. Couldn't put it down, and reached out John. I was like, "This, I think your book is amazing, and I really think that people need to hear this perspective because a lot of my uh, listeners listen to podcasts like We Met at Acme, which I love, but it's just a very different way of approaching dating as a millennial woman or I guess just, you know, heterosexual woman in general. So, yeah, I'm really excited for this episode and I hope you all take something from it. And if you feel like you I, I would really love if anyone who listens to this episode is able to kind of like apply this knowledge and it works out for them, like any success stories to DM me because that would give me some like satisfaction and knowing that, you know, and I'll let John know, I guess. But yeah, before we completely dive in to our conversation, just want to quick give a quick shout out to Talkspace because they are a sponsor and because they're an incredible company. So as you all know, um, Talkspace sponsors this podcast, um, which is a mental health podcast, and they are a therapy company. So if you've ever considered, you know, tap, like dipping your toes into therapy but didn't really know where to start, especially nowadays, it's nearly impossible to find a therapist who does not have a wait list for taking new patients and even more hard to find a therapist who takes your insurance. It's nearly impossible, to be honest. Um, and Talkspace kind of completely eliminates all of those barriers to accessing care. 60% of their users are new to therapy, which, you know, for someone like me who's literally been in therapy for like 10 years, finds that stat super exciting. Um, and yeah, I just really encourage anyone, whether you're struggling or not, to check out Talkspace and use my code to get $100 off your first month. So really, you're only paying about 100 something bucks for a month of therapy, which is such a deal, especially again, your therapy connoisseur here is like, damn, I wish I knew about Talkspace 10 years ago. Get Just kidding. They didn't really exist. But anyways, go to Talkspace.com and use the code Zoe, Z-O-E at checkout to get $100 off your first month of therapy and let me know how it goes. Love you all and let me know what you think of this episode. 
All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am so excited and honored to be here with best-selling author of Datanomics, How Dating Became a Lopsided Numbers Game, and Make Your Move, The New Science of Dating and Why Women Are in Charge. John Berger, thank you so much for being here. Zoe, thanks for having me on. So if you don't mind kicking it off by telling me a little bit more about yourself, where are you from, how old are you, where'd you grow up, what's your story? So I'm a million years old. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm 52. Um, and usually the first question I get is essentially how the heck did a Fortune magazine writer who used to write about really, really boring stuff like oil and gas and the stock market, I mean, how did I ever end up writing a book or in this case, two books about dating? And the, the answer, at least in terms of how I wrote the first book, Datanomics, is I just knew all these fabulous single women in their 30s and 40s, a lot of them from work at Fortune, um, who had these like dating horror stories. And all the guys I knew who I think I can honestly say had a lot less going for them dating wise, <laughs> they, they didn't seem to have any trouble at all. And like, I, I got married in my mid twenties. So this was all kind of a curiosity to me. And I, the, the origin of the first book Datanomics was really just an exploration of the demographic trends be behind why dating has become so much harder for college educated women than for college educated men. And, it, and the first book was really pop science. I really, it wasn't, it was not an advice book. So, I, you know, I, I, I could talk more about, about how I wrote the second book, but that, but that's the story of how I got into this topic. That's so interesting. And it must be, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, much more fun stuff to talk about. <laughs> Well, I, I'm a dork, so I, I used to <laughs> like talking about the stock market and about, you know, um, fracking and things like that. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I enjoy both topics. But certainly when I'm at a cocktail party, people seem far more interested in hearing me talk about dating than they do fracking. Yep, I, I would have to side with those people. <laughs> but I'm also a dork, so... Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, as, you know, a single college educated woman, I obviously very interested in your books. Um, so for some context, I actually found Make Your Move a few months ago. Um, and to be completely, you know, vulnerable and frank here, I was I was in a pretty big funk. Um, my birthday was coming up. I mean, I'm 20. I'm only 26. So, you know, but it's but still my birthday was coming up and. Um, I was kind of spiral spiraling like with those thoughts of, you know, I'll never find my person. Will I be alone forever, et cetera. And um, even as I'm living in a city, I live in Austin right now, which is kind of known for, if anything, having the reverse problem of, um, you know, where there's more men than in other cities like New, yeah. New York, or at least it seems. Um, but still, you know. I, I was kind of like, how am I in the city, which is known for, you know, having the most eligible bachelors, et cetera, but I'm still single. Um, and then I, again, heard your book on um, a podcast of someone I actually recently interviewed and I read it and it completely shifted my mindset. Like I, from the statistics, statistical parts of it to just, 
the stories. It made me really rethink like how I was going about dating, so to speak. Um, So for those who haven't read either of your books, I was wondering if you could do, you know, a quick synopsis of each book and the research that led you to write them. So, so the, the first book, Datanomics, like I said, it's not really an advice book. It's more pop science. And the first book explores how lopsided sex ratios among, pe- among young people in college and also among recent college grads, how that affects post-college dating. So for the past 15, 20 years, we've had one third more women than men graduate from college. And this gap is only getting wider. I think that the most recent numbers out of the Department of Education show that there's now 50% more women than men in undergraduate programs in the US. So it's a three to two ratio. Um, And, you know, the to me, th- this is why dating is so hard for, for you know, under 40 single women who seem to have everything going for you, but you can't seem to find a decent guy who won't bail at the, at the minute things get serious. And yep. all the, re- yeah, it's a familiar story, right? So <laughs> yes. like, yeah, I mean, all, all, all the research on sex ratios shows that when, men are in undersupply or women are in oversupply, depending upon your perspective, the behavior changes. Um, uh, Men, you know, the the dating culture becomes less monogamous and kind of more more libertine, so to speak. Um, And a big argument of my book, Make Your Move, was that the, the, the rise of the hookup culture in the 2000s and 2010s had nothing to do with porn or Facebook or or apps or anything or, or anything else that like modern scolds like to blame that this is largely a byproduct of uneven sex ratios and the way sex ratios affect behavior. So 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 that that was the the gist of datanomics, um, but. As I think I said to you in our pre-interview, I I do have some regrets about the way I wrote datanomics, and if you if you want to hear them, I will I will share. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. It's a great opportunity to segue into yeah. what you know, make your move is, and kind of why you chose to write a second book. So, when I wrote the first book. Um, I, I thought I was writing pop science. I thought I was kind of doing a anthropological, a demographic, a scientific expo- you know, exploration of why dating had become so much harder for women than for men. And I thought of my, you know, I had this really snooty attitude towards the whole self-help genre. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like the absolute positively last thing I wanted to do was become the love doctor. Like I, I, I thought I was a serious Fortune magazine journalist, and I wasn't going to like stoop to write a, you know, write a self help. <laughs> Dear book. John. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was not me. I, I, I'm Mr. Serious. So, um, 
you know, my, my editor kept kind of begging me for advice and solutions. And in the last chapter, there's like five pages of ideas, but most of it basically boils down to move someplace where the sex ratios are, are more balanced. And that might work if you're like 23 years old and just starting out and, and like the world is your oyster and you can move wherever. But it was pretty dumb to expect a 40 year old single woman with like a whole life and career and set of friends in Washington, DC. I mean, they're not gonna move to Seattle just because the sex ratios <laughs> are, are more dating friendly. Yeah. Um, but, but in my mind, when I wrote the first book, I thought like this was a knowledge is power thing and that, and that the, the women who bought the book would kind of appreciate realizing that that this is a bigger issue it's not their fault that every time their mom harasses them about why are you still single now they would have kind of a an explanation and sex ratios are I, off <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly right right but when i got out on book tour and i'm guessing zoe you could have predicted this um when i got out on, on book tour it turns out that was not enough um <laughs> that that i i would go through my whole spiel and explain why dating was so hard for women and I, I could see you here kind of like, like, you know, what was coming, what was coming was, okay, I get it. I feel a little bit better. Now just tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. We need and answers. <laughs> we need answers. And in hindsight, it was wrong of me to kind of diagnose this whole problem without offering hope and solutions. So that that's really the, that's a long-winded winded answer to how I ended up writing Make Your Move. It was kind of trying to make up for what I should have done in the first book, but did not. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting to me about Make Your Move is, um, so I, for those listening, I'm a big fan of the podcast we met at Acme um, and the host of this dating podcast. She um, is, if she really sticks by the theories um, from books like The Rules and Why Men Love Bitches and your book is pretty much the antithesis of those. <laughs> it's pretty much contradicts all of the um, all the points in those books. And so I'll, I'll quickly just kind of summarize for those who don't know, you know, We Men at Acme or um, The Rules or why men love bitches. Basically the, the concept and correct me if I'm wrong of those books is in order to find your perfect guy, just don't do anything. They'll come to you, make them wait. Like basically just basically that if you make the first move, you're going to come off as like too much or too. If basically if they'll like you, they'll make the move. Um, and your argument is quite different. Um, so I, yeah. I, yeah, I wonder if you could like speak a little to, sure. to that and your thoughts on those two books I mentioned and the philosophies there versus a little bit about, you know, what you talk about in your second novel. Sure. So, so if I thought the whole playing hard to get thing worked, I'd be like, you know, I have no philosophical problem with playing hard to get. Um, but I, like when I was writing the first book Anomics and interviewing all these incredible women who had these horrendous dating experiences. I, I was shocked by how many of them were kind of 
loyal followers of books like The Rules or books like Ignore the Guy, Get the Guy. And, and again, I, I did not think of myself as, as a dating advisor when I was writing the first book. But at some point I kept, you know, the whole, um, the whole like definition of insanity thing. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, the definition of, of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, and expecting a so, different result. Yeah. And expect, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And expecting a different result. And so many of the women who had these horrendous stories were loyal adherents of books like the rules. And I was like, well, if this isn't working for you, well, why are we still doing it? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, w when I started working on make your move, you know, the, 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 like I said, the goal was to kind of do what I should have done in the first book and figure out um, how women who kind of beat the rough odds, like uh, how they do it. And, and so many of the women I interviewed, um, they basically, they operated their dating lives the same way they operated their regular lives, which was they don't like wait around for good things to happen to them. Like, yeah. <laughs> if, they, like, like if there's a job they want, they don't like wait around for somebody to miraculously offer it to them. Or if there's like a, you know, an investment they want to make. They don't just wait for, you know, they don't wait for Matt year for something to happen. They're like, they're go-getters and they, and they do it. But yet, yet the, the, these, you know, the, there are these kind of dating gurus out there who tell the same young women who are kicking ass in every other aspect of life that, that yes, taking initiative is good for every other aspect of human behavior. But when it comes to this one thing of finding a love, a life partner, you have to like, you know, you know, pr pretend that you're a damsel in distress from like the 1800s or something, which which makes no, no sense to me. And, and so many of the women I interviewed, basically, I mean, I mean a lot, I'm not, I'm not saying anything that you don't know, but like a lot of guys are oblivious, right? Like guys... Zoe, would you agree? Lots of guys don't know when a woman is interested in them. Um, that's the thing is, I don't know. I feel like men are equally complicated, but also so simple. <laughs> At least heterosexual <laughs> men that I, I mean, like, uh, it's, it's hard to say, but I mean, I would assume maybe I'm wrong in thinking that they, they do know. Or at least, I, so yeah. so if you if you read Maker Move, as I know you have, I you know I cite this research showing that most people, men or women, have no idea when they're being flirted with, and this notion that flirting, you know, um, effectively communicates romantic interests is nonsense. Um, men suck <laughs> at at determining which women women are interested in which are not and honestly if men were better at it i think there would be fewer me too stories because mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of what we what we a lot of the stuff that men are really fearful of doing involves like um 
thinking that she's interested, but she's not. And I think this is why, and we'll get to this a little later, I assume, but, but I think that this is why guys are a little gun shy about, about making the first move nowadays, because flirting is so ineffective that just because they think somebody might have an interest, you know, it, it's, it, it doesn't work. So, so there's a lot of mis, you know, missed signals, miscommunications and, and guys, you know, it, guys are and i think for i think correctly and i think this is a good thing guys are less likely to take the sort of chances that they might have thought would have been fun 20 years ago but probably were not fun for the women on the receiving end who did mm -hmm. not who did not want those uh you know who were not inviting that kind of behavior yeah no i think that is such a good point it was actually the next thing i was going to um, bring up. So I, I but, found, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, so it just, just finally, I, I want to just close the loop on, on these books, like the rules. I mean, I mean, these books like the rules and all the copycats, and there's basically a whole genre of dating books that has, has kind of taken the play hard to get stuff recommended by the rules and, and run with it. And the, the message of these books is basically um, don't act interested. Um, you know, I think that there's a direct quote, you know, the, you know this is a, it's just a direct quote from Ellen Fine and Sherry Schneider who wrote the rules books. And, and what they say is if you want a guy to pursue you, don't act so interested, treat him a little bit like a guy you don't care for. Now, I, I, I wasn't dating in the 1950s. I, maybe that worked in the 1950s. I have no idea. But I think we can all agree that in the 2020s, if a guy, if a woman makes it clear to a guy that she's not interested, the correct response for the guy is not to assume that she's playing hard to get. The correct response is to leave her alone. Yeah, that's such a good point. <laughs> and 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 this is why the whole play hard to get strategy doesn't work anymore because the guys and I think and I'm not I'm not saying I'm not like trying to make excuses for the guys I actually think this is a good thing this is social progress that that this behavior doesn't doesn't happen it happens less frequently but I think it's a good thing that when a guy is talking to a woman at the party and she doesn't seem that interested and he moves on. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. hundred percent. And, um, but at the same time, I, I, you know, I, I write for women because women write dating books mm -hmm. and I'm sorry, no, women read dating books, excuse me. And what this new reality means is that women who are assertive and who are willing to take a chance just have this huge built-in advantage over other women who kind of wait and wait and wait and wait for guys to court them. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. And I think it you you hit on so many important notes. And that was one of one of the ones I found most interesting was in this day and age, exactly as you said no means no. So if you're going to act play hard to get or say, or act not interested, then 
you would hope that the man backs off or, you know, doesn't keep pursuing. Um, so it, it, it's a little bit contradictory to make the argument that that is the way to approach dating when hopefully if, you know, we continue on this journey of, of like seeing, you know, not, not endorsing sexual harassment, then yeah. um, that would not be the approach. So it's, it's interesting that, yeah. yeah, in this wave of me too, or post me too, it makes so much sense that you would wonder why people still adhere to these quote unquote rules. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing, which I think is really important is that, and, and whenever, you know, whenever I use this line on the lecture circuit, like the, the men in the audience are nodding in unison while the women look at me like I'm fucking crazy. But, but, the, but, but, but the reality is that men like women who like them, men like women who like them. Now, if you've, if you've, been a follower or an adherent of all these dating books like the rules you believe that the moment you see any interest that you show any interest in a man will be the moment he loses interest in you yep and i have look i've i've been a man my whole <laughs> life <laughs> I've, I've i've yet to meet a guy who says you know what i really 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 like zoe but she's too enthusiastic about me <laughs> Like th th this is a conversation guys don't have yet. This is a conversation women have with each other a lot. And I'm, you know, I, 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 I don't think it's useful. Yeah, no, I think that's such a good point. Um, the second point that I thought was really interesting to me, especially because I have a mental health podcast and a lot of topics that I'm interested in, my audience is interested is, you know, narcissism and, and things like that. So you made the point that, you know, sometimes the men who are willing to, you know, make the first move at a bar or a party, those are kind of the men you want to stay away from because they don't fear rejection. They don't think they'll be rejected by anyone. And it, you know, it makes me think a lot about some of my friends who've been in relationships with narcissists and, how, you know, in those situations, they were approached by the guy. I mean, not saying that all men who approach women are narcissists, but it, it just made a lot of sense to me of like, maybe those guys are, are kind of the jerks because they, they know that they think they're good looking and they think that this, you know, that they don't have a reason yeah, to yeah. be worried so, that so, you're going to so say I, no. Yeah, I, I, I definitely don't want to say that all men who make the f first move are jerks. That's not where I'm coming <laughs> from at all. Uh, my argument is that women who make the first move just have an advantage. Um, but it, it, if guys are really comfortable making the first move, I would say it's because they have a lot of experience making the first move and having success making the first mm -hmm. move. I mean, get guys, you know, like guys don't do things that they haven't had success doing. And I think, I, I think that is the, you know, if I, I'm just going to kind of leave it there. And I, I think that is a useful lesson learned for, for women. Like if a guy is really comfortable doing something, it's mean, it means he has success doing it. 
Yeah, it's like it's not his first rodeo. If he's gonna it's go not to his first him. rodeo, and and, and and maybe maybe you are the woman who is going to change this kind of lifelong bachelor into Mister Monogamy, and I it's possible. Like I, I'm not gonna, you know, I I'm not a fan of hard and fast rules, but. I am like I, I am a fan of informed decisions and then kind of informed living. And again, it, it, if a guy is really comfortable doing something in a dating context, it probably means he's had success doing it. He didn't just invent this for you. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And um, I'm it. Yeah, I, I think the whole notion of, you know, like I'll change him is like kind of a joke, but people still are guilty of it <laughs> yeah no there is i i don't know where i read this but there was something i read where where when men commit they hope she she never changes and when when <laughs> women commit they want to change him and that's where that's, that's hilarious where, and, and those two things is, are where relationships get kind of sometimes go south because people do change and people don't change <laughs> that kind of thing that's that's such a that's I love that quote. That's so funny. <laughs> I, I, don't attribute it to me. I read it some. <laughs> it was I, I thought it was brilliant when I read it. So I asked my Instagram followers a few a few poll questions related to your books, um, and then I'm going to read them to you with results and of course some you know stats behind them because we both love statistics here. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on like why you think it's split and like why you think it's split the way it is. Sure. So the first question I asked was, who do you think has more power when it comes to dating in a heterosexual relationship? And it was 42% said the women, the woman and 58% said the men. And it was pretty split, split pretty evenly among like women saying women, women saying men and men saying women and men saying men. What are your thoughts on that? Like almost 50, 50? I, I I don't know. I can. I'm not. Is it okay if I say I don't like the question? Oh yeah, be, I wrote it. So yeah, I won't take offense. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's like um. So so I think if we're going to look at this from a purely numbers standpoint, if we're t- you know I, I I tend to write for the college ed- educated, so young people are graduating into a dating market that has fifty percent more women than men. And, and I'm a big advocate of what I call mixed collar dating, which is basically, you know, white collar women dating blue collar men. But until we see more of that, yeah, I think that the men have more leverage in these relationships because they have more options. Yeah. But, but, and, and this is where I'm going to kind of not quibble with the question, but kind of just make a point off the question is I'm. One of the many things I hate about online dating is how kind of the ethos of commerce and shopping has kind of, you know, eked its way into the way we think about dating. Yeah, paradox of choice. Right. And when we talk about like power and leverage and things like that, like it's, it's like... Yeah, I mean, so many people have complained like that when they connect with somebody in the dating app, the first, I, the, the first question that the guy asks is what? Like, I, I, hopefully, Zoe, this is gonna, you're going to answer this. Have the, I, I, I have when you when you connect with a guy in the dating app, uh, what's the first question they ask? 
Oh, I don't know. Like, hey. All right. All right. It's, all right. Okay. So, it's, so what are you looking for? Is this a question you've heard before on a, a dating app? Is this no, something I, I haven't heard okay. of actually. All right. So, so I've had so many singles tell me that like every time they meet somebody new on an app online, the question they get is, what are you looking for? And what are you looking for is the kind of question you ask a realtor. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it, it's the kind of question you ask a car salesman. It's not an obvious question if you're trying to establish a human connection with somebody who you're maybe possibly could be a life partner. It's a really transactional question. And, and I think the way we think about dating nowadays is super transactional. So when we talk about who has more power or there, there are so many dating coaches out there who are really fond about talking about low value men or high value women or high value men or low value women. I mean, that's a really weird way to talk about other human beings. Yeah, that's a good point. But, but I really think the transactional nature of online dating has kind of pushed this idea that on the dating is like shopping and that there's no more magic. There's no more just two people connecting. It's all about, it's all kind of a value driven exercise. So I'm, this is a really long-winded way of me not answering your question, but, no, but I, I, I think I, that's such yeah. a good point. It's like, honestly, now that I think about it more and more, just like thinking about the, you know, user experience of dating apps, it's literally like reading the Amazon reviews of each person. Uh, yes, it, it is exactly like that. It is the, the user interface experience of a dating app is very similar to eBay or Amazon. And I wish pe more people appreciated that. Yeah, that's such a good point. Okay, the next question, hopefully you like it a little better, but it's... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> said, who do you think should make the first move when it comes to dating? So obviously these people have not read your book because 19% said the woman and 81% said the man. And of those people... 95% of men said the woman, whereas mostly all the women said the man. Right. So, so, but, but I, th I think that's what you just said is really telling because I guarantee you most women would be shocked to hear that 90% of the men want the woman to make the first move. Mm -hmm. And it goes to my point, men like women who like them, but women don't believe that to be true. And this is why, so again, my answer to this is that I think nowadays women have an advantage when they make the first move, but it's not like a philosophical thing. It's not like I'm making a moral judgment about, about, about like ethically, you know, you know, which is more appropriate women making the first move or men making the first move. I just think it's more effective that to, for for women to make the first move than to wait and wait and wait for the men to make the first move. And since you've read Make Your Move, you know that like, this is really, you know, the only dating strategy that's ever won a Nobel Prize. And yeah. that, you know, there, there, there are these economists who, who did, a, did, did a study looking at, um, looking at, at different kinds of matching, whether it's marriage, job applications, school admissions, and basically whoever initiates the match in general 
on average has a better outcome than the party on the receiving end of the match. And that is why it is advantageous to make the first move. I love that. It's almost like instead of looking at relationships as a transactional, you know, in a transactional way, it's got to go back to the statistical and probability ways. (laughs) Well, no, no, but but actually I, so so maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth on this, but I, I actually think a lot of economics is just kind of a scientific way of expressing human behavior. Yeah. And a lot lot of statistics is basically just trying to put human behavior in a, in a way that's, that's understandable to dorks like myself. (laughs) And um, I, I, I don't think this is all about statistics. I mean, if there is a guy you work with who you've always liked and you've always felt comfortable with and you, and you finish each other's jokes and it's a great chemistry, why would you sit back and wait for him to realize that you're, that you have a romantic interest in him uh, rather than just ask him out on a date. Like it, it, it makes no sense. Like you've already, you're halfway there. You've already identified this guy as a really like good chemistry, a good match. Why would you take the risk that he could end up with the wrong woman? You yeah. know, um, why not just ask him out on a date? And you know, and what's the worst thing that happens? He says, no, well, at least you never have to worry about um, like wondering if he was the one again. Yeah. I guess only worry about those like company outings, but even now it's remote. So you don't see them. <laughs> exactly. So this, I'm not sure if you've heard this quote, um, but it was, it's a true or false. So the true or false is if they like you, you'll know if they don't, you'll be confused. So basically what I mean by that is a lot of people say this as like an advice kind of thing, um, specifically geared towards, you know, heterosexual women looking for a man of like, why won't he text me back? Why, you know, um, he, if I'm confused by a guy I'm seeing, he probably is not interested in me. Whereas if he's interested in me, I'll know because he'll put in the effort. So okay. I did true or false. Sixty nine percent said true. Thirty one percent said false. I am like a hundred percent false. Really? Um, yes, because human beings are morons when it comes to this stuff. Like, like this notion that we can kind of intuit very easily who you know who likes me and who doesn't. I mean, dating would be really really easy if flirting always worked, right? Like if we were always able to figure out who was romantically interested in me or you and who was not. I mean, how easy would dating be if that were true? Yeah, probably a lot easier. <laughs> it would be super easy. Like there would like it would be a piece of cake. But the reality is that 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 science shows that you know, like 60, 70% of flirting is completely lost on the person, you know, on the receiving end of the flirting. Um you know, we don't always know who's interested in us and who's not, which is why I'm such a fan of being direct and honest. Um, And when I say being direct and honest, I mean really being direct and honest. I I, I don't mean saying, hey, do you want to grab coffee sometime? Because that could mean 40 different things. Um, I mean saying, hey, you know, I've always liked you. I've always felt 
like had a nice feeling around you. Would you like to go out on a date with me on Friday? And I know that that takes a certain level of courage mm-hmm. to ask that question. But from a guy's perspective, a guy is far less likely to take advantage of a woman who says that than a woman who says, hey, let's go get a drink on Friday night. Yeah. So just specifying that it is a date. The, the, no, the, the more you put yourself out there, the more you'll get back. I like that. So this is definitely a very direct <laughs> quote. Um, so it's another true or false that I did. Um, and I'm not sure if you've you've heard it. It's, I, I think it's originally from a Mark Manson. Is that his name? Uh, he wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, and I think this is from his blog. But it's, if it's not a fuck, yes, it's a no. So let's say, hypothetically, I sent that text about, hey, you know, would you like to get dinner on Friday, blah, 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 blah. And the guy said, oh, or mm, trying to think of a, a, I'm trying to think of something other than yes. <laughs> Is that, does that align with your, like, what would you say to that um, question, whether it's true or false? Because 78% said true, 22% said false. So it's a little direct, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I'm. See, where I got hung up on on your question is the send a text thing. It's not the content of the text. And to me, like, look, look, I I don't assume that everybody is looking for a life partner or a soulmate. So I just want to get that out there. Like I'm, I, I, the people who buy dating books do tend to be looking for life partners and soulmates, but I'm not, you know, I'm not like, you know, forcing some traditional view of monogamy on everybody. However, if if that's what you're looking for, I think the way, you know, and you really want to create a human connection with another person, I'm very kind of reluctant to do these things over text. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's, it's so artificial. I mean, like the, the, there's so much that you can glean about another human being. I mean, even if it's over the phone, even if it's not in person, but like, how much can you glean from somebody's, from the sound of somebody's voice just by talking to them over the phone? It's a question. Yeah. A little bit more than text. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, right? Like, and if you're in their physical presence, how much can you glean just from their body language Even or by, more, yeah. yeah um, and this is why I don't like doing these things over text because it's so impersonal. It's so transactional. Um so if you ask that same question in person and you got a negative response, I would say, well, yeah, there's a lot to be gleaned from that. I would say move on. But I, 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 just, I just don't love, and, and this is probably the, the, old, the old person in me coming out. And I'm sorry if, if it sounds that way, but I, I mean, human beings evolved as social animals we connect through shared experience and you know trading text messages over instagram is not like a shared experience it's kind of a it's a game yeah um you know and i i don't i if you really want to connect with somebody you know do it in person at least do it over the phone i mean like i mean zoe do you have a best friend 
Yeah, I have I have many. <laughs> okay, well, not well, to my own think, Okay, okay, but, but 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 think about your one or two best friends. How did you How did you meet them? Uh, kindergarten, but okay. some okay. some through dog walking. Like okay, some... but, 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 but can you imagine going on bestfriends.com and creating a human a human connection like the one that you have with your friend from kindergarten? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, so so that that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely, completely agree. And I think also meeting in person eliminates some of the, the need to ask those questions because there's a lot less room for ambigu- ambiguity. You know, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just a big fan of dating people you already know, and yep. and and the, I mean, particularly, you know, it, it's easy for me to say this as a guy, but but I've interviewed so many women, I, I kind of know, I, I mean, I know, how, I mean, it, it, every every first date off a dating app is a blind date with a complete stranger, and I don't think men, and I'm going to include myself before I put some thought into this. <laughs> I don't think men appreciate the safety concerns that are involved with this. And that nearly every woman I interviewed for my books, first dates from a dating app with a complete stranger start with a whole lot of fact checking online, Googling the guy to death. And then on the day of the date, and you're going to Sushi Palace or wherever, you're telling your roommate or your mom or your sister, I'm going to be at Sushi Palace at seven o'clock with this guy. If you don't hear from me by 930, you know, maybe something's wrong. Yeah. And, and, and guys don't realize like how, how potentially dangerous it can be for women to go out on blind dates with complete strangers. But there was a Pew Research survey which came out I think last year, which showed that 20% of women on young women on dating apps have experienced threats of physical violence. Wow. That's really scary. I, I, I mean, if there was some like, you know, cocktail lounge where one out of every five women were being threatened with violence, like nobody would go back there. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so this is why like, I'm a big fan of dating people you already know from the real world, because, because it's, it's so much, you know, the first date starts out so much easier because you're not, there's not this level of anxiety. You, you mean, I mean, the, the first date with the complete stranger on paper, you could be totally compatible. But if you go into the first date with this level of anxiety about whether he's actually Robert, the, the, you know, the dentist versus Billy Bob, the ex-con axe murderer, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that that kind of anxiety doesn't kind of lead it, lend itself to falling in like, or certainly not falling in love. So I, I, I'm a fan of dating people you already know. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I love that part from your book. Um, so I wanted to wrap up with and see if you had like three pieces of advice, maybe it's from your book or just, you know, post book, um, that you could leave my heterosexual single female listeners <laughs> um, with, or maybe one of them could be like for the men out there if they're listening. Um, yeah, but just like three core pieces of advice you'd give to navigate the dating world in 2021 and 2022. Holy crap. So so I'll, I'll, I'll start with one, and this may be long-winded, um, but you know, I gave a um, kind of a Zoom talk to a... A, a, a college group at Rollins College in Florida, you know, several weeks back. And we were talking about some of the 
online dating stuff and why all the various reasons why I don't like online dating. It's not just the safety concerns. I mean, the, the, the breakup rates for couples who meet online are much higher than, than for people who meet in the real world. But we were talking about all this. And towards the end of the class, a young woman kind of piped up and said, okay, I get it. I hear what you're saying, but how the heck am I supposed to meet somebody if not through the apps? So I suggested to our host, okay, let's go into Brady Bunch mode on our, on the Zoom. And yeah, we had like, you know, 40 boxes on the screen. And I said, okay, um, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. And the question I asked them was, how many of you already know somebody single from the real world? Somebody you know and like and are attracted to, somebody who, whom you've ever wondered about dating. 40 kids in the class, 40 hands went up. Wow. Now, now I know that like if I ask 45-year-olds this question, the answer is going to be a little different than if you ask 20-year-olds. I, I, I get that. But the point is I, I, I strongly believe that most singles already know somebody from the real world whom they would like to date, but they're just too nervous to ask them out. So I think that would be my first bit of advice. And now I need to give you more, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> two more. <laughs> um, if you insist on using the internet to, to find a date, um, I would say my favorite app for this is not a dating app. It's, it's Meetup. Oh, you know, yeah, you know, you yeah, know what yeah. Meetup is, right? Like, you know, like if you're, if you're into, you want to join a running club or a, or a rock climbing club or you're into bird watching or whatever, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of people connecting through shared human experience. And the nice thing about, of a, an app like Meetup is that it's not a dating app. I mean, so there's less pressure to connect romantically and you can kind of get to know people in a human setting rather than kind of through the artificial you know, like, like chatting over an app, which I, I don't consider to be, I consider to be more of a game than a, than a human interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I say in Austin, it, where everyone has a dog, including myself, who probably oh, heard yeah. barking, go to a dog park. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, place. no, because, because, because the other thing is, and I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm a dog lover as well, so I can relate to this, but I, you know, when I mentioned before that um, the people who meet um, in the real world tend to have lower breakup rates than people who meet um, online, a lot of this, I think, just has to do with shared interests and shared values. And for example, the one-year breakup rate um, for couples who meet on dating apps is 15%. The one-year breakup rate for people who meet in church or in a house of worship is one and a half percent. Wow. Now, I don't think this, you know, I, I'm sure that the, the true believers out there will, will argue this is something to do with faith and God and that kind of thing. I'm, I, I'm disinclined to believe that. I, I think this has to do with shared values and shared mm -hmm. interests. And if you're an avid bird watcher and you, and you love spending your weekends watching birds and you think there's a lot to be learned from avian behavior, so to speak, I, I, I think you're going to connect with somebody who shares those values just as kind of tightly as you would if you shared religious values. Yeah. I and I, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would. This, this is this is why I'm a fan of like connecting with people in the real world because shared shared values, shared interests, are something that are kind of exposed through and and that become evident through, you know, human interaction. Yeah, I completely agree. And one last piece of advice, maybe something for like, um, you mentioned that you met your your partner in your 20s and are you still together yeah yeah i'm married i'm married three kids okay um, so how one a piece of advice for how you've managed to you know con- have such a long relationship that's you know still working and you have three kids so i'm gonna answer around this a little bit because <laughs> my wife is kind of a public person um and she's not a fan of me. Okay, <laughs> me no worries. <laughs> um, but but I'm going to answer generally. And, and um, what I will say is that is that sometimes I worry, particularly when I read about the advice that dating gurus have, particularly when it comes to what we talked about earlier, like the transactional nature of dating, finding a high value man or a high value woman or avoiding low value people. I, I, I worry that there's this idea out there that, that if you do the right things or shop the right way, you'll find a perfect connection and and that you can't, you can't compromise or you can't, and the, the word that you hear a lot is settling, right? Like, oh, I could never settle. Um, well, as you know, from your best friends, like I'm sure there's some settling, like not settling, but compromise in, in your in your friendships with your best friends. Like, the, like there are times when you wish that they, they behave differently, right? And you're in part of the fun, not the fun, but you know, part of the human experience of having a best friend is kind of working through the differences that you have with them and having the guts to kind of tell them when they're wrong or having the, the wisdom to realize when you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of successful or most successful human relationships, whether they're friendships or romantic relationships, kind of hinge on your understanding that there is no perfect relationship out there, that all human relationships involve compromise. And if you're expecting perfection, you're expecting the wrong thing. I love that. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I am so honored that you agreed to come on this podcast. Um, Where can all my listeners buy your books, learn more about you, um, I know you have a blog, so just plug everything. So you can you can find my website at johnberger.com. And unfortunately, my name is spelled oddly. It's, <laughs> a J, it's J-O-N-B-I-R-G-E-R. You can find me on Twitter at johnberger1. Unfortunately, it's a little bit diff- different on Instagram. I'm John underscore Burger <laughs> One on on Instagram. Um, but and and Make Your Move is available at pretty much every major bookseller, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, Indie Books, wherever. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again, and bye, everyone.